Not everyone needs to join the military. Not everyone needs to go through a boot camp, but doing something that requires of us a sense of sacrifice for a higher order good in society, I believe is at the center of human flourishing. And I, I think yeah. we over-index towards that in the U.S. military of saying, and you know, in, in the the way we revere the military in the, in America is phenomenal. I think sometimes we can over-index saying like one of the only ways to serve is to be in the military. No, I mean, I now work in healthcare. I can tell you the average trauma nurse who is taking care of a trauma patient at 2 a.m. and goes home to have breakfast with their family, there's yeah. the same level of sacrifice and service. The average teacher, um, you know, making not a lot of money to educate the next generation of kids. Like there's a lot of ways to serve, but I think doing hard things for the, the preservation and more importantly, the advancement of society, I, I personally believe that is the core of an extraordinary life experience and of, of self-actualizing. All right, everyone. Welcome to the Live on Bone podcast. This is a space where we have insightful, real, and fun conversations with the world's highest performers across different industries and different walks of life to bring life lessons to you. I'm your host, Stephen McDonald, and I am a high performance coach and consultant to leaders and teams in our organization across the world. So today I'm delighted to share a conversation I had with Brian Ferguson. Brian, for me, is somebody that really epitomizes what it means to be a man. You know, and I hope you'll see this from the conversations I've had with Brian, his mission, what he does, how he lives, and how he approaches life. He is the founder and CEO of Arena Labs, which is all about pioneering the field of high-performance medicine, and he's a partner and co-founder of the Bold Liminal Collective, which is enabling humanity's wildest and boldest endeavors. So really pushing the boundaries of human potential and mastery in all walks of life. So Brian takes us through his journey from kitchen table conversations with his mother, a nurse, and I got to get this in there. She's got good, strong Irish roots, um, which Brian is very proud of, um, you know, to working in the White House serving in the military, take entrepreneurship. You now, these experiences have influenced his outlook on life and informed his understanding of human potential and performance under pressure and ultimately the limitations, or should I say, the no limitations that we have. You'll hear about how he dealt with significant loss in his life and how he has adopted a service archetype, really just ultimately doing hard things in service to others and um, stuff I'm sure that you know you learn a lot from that he's very proud of so look lads i'm going to leave it for now and hand over to the episode i learned a lot from this and i've absolutely no doubt you will as well so please enjoy like you're doing outstanding work in every sense of the word right that's making a huge difference to humanity uh it's cutting edge and it's it's performance it's transformation um it's bringing people together in a way that top one percent of the world right you're bringing people together in a way that there's team flow and it's, it's just incredible work but like your your life journey has brought you to to a place where you're you have the competence and capability to do that, right? So, like I really like to just kind of unpack the learnings and lessons in your life that has kind of moved you towards the space you're now, and even just to start, kind of just tell me about as a young as a young lad, right, as a young fella, and how you grew up, and you know, and, and the journey from there. You know, even one or two things are useful context of learnings pieces you took from your childhood that kind of drove you in this direction. Yeah. So um, I, I think in the context of what I'm doing now, my the, the origin story I come back to a lot is that I, I grew up in a household where my mom was a nurse. And that um, 
you know, that was wildly impactful on me because, you know, we talk a lot at arena about the service archetype and the, the service archetype for us is, you know, this idea of people who want to do hard things, make an impact in the world and save lives. And so mm. I often go back to the story of our kitchen table and, you know, around our kitchen table growing up, you know, we had a real focus on, you know, my, I remember vividly my mom talking about her work. And as a kid, I was fascinated that she loved something outside the house that I didn't fully understand. Um, and I remember like wondering about medicine and, and that life. Um, and on the rare occasions that, you know, something went wrong in the operating room or she lost a patient, you could viscerally feel that at the kitchen table. Um, and as a result, I, I always thought I'd go into medicine. Um, and instead I, I went into the military. We can come back to that. But my childhood, yeah. I, I think, was marked by, you know, it, I grew up in a community just west of Cleveland, Ohio. Um, and I, I look back now and I think, you know, Stephen, and when you have the, the privilege of retrospect in life and you can look back, um, you know, for me, it's pretty powerful to think about the type of community I grew up in. I, it was you know, generally blue collar and orientation at the minimum, very hardworking people. To this day, I still keep up with many of my teachers. You know, my high school football coach had a massive impact on my own yeah. development, you know, more about developing young men than, you know, athletes. Yeah. And so uh, I I did not appreciate how wildly fortunate I was in terms of, you know, just the character of people, work ethic, um, but a sense of, you know, doing things in the world that mattered for community and the people around you, that idea of a service archetype. Um, so I was really, really fortunate. Yeah, come on. So I, that really rings true, Brian, right? That kind of doing something powerful, but in service to others, right? And I think your yeah. mom, you learned so much from your mother and to... To just highlight your yeah. Irish blood in your Irish blood in your mother, right? That's right. <laughs> so I want to yeah, call, it, I I call that yeah. one. Up. The uh, the stories of Ireland were definitely you know. So Cleveland is funny. Cleveland's a very ethnic city because it you know in the kind of the late nineteenth, early twentieth century, it was a steel town, and so it brought uh, in that growth. There was uh, a lot of immigration that happened, but Cleveland is very much. It's kind of funny. You have these um, neighborhoods that are ethnic, you know, Italian neighborhoods and. Uh, Irish, et cetera. But the West side mm. of Cleveland has a lot of Irish Catholic families who, at the, you know, in the, in the sixties, these, you know, these are families of eight, 10, 11, 12 children. Mm. Uh, so my mom was, was one of nine kids. And, and I guess back to that origin story, that was also very impactful on me because my mom had six uncles and two aunts, 20 cousins mm. uh, at the time, almost all of them lived in Cleveland. And so the Irish backdrop was definitely part of the, of just the kind of mythology of the family. Um, but with that came a real sense of an extended family that was massively impactful in my own evolution. Yeah. So a good, a good community, right? And a good support network. And, um, and you progressed through life then, Brian, right? So you, you went to school and you said you mentioned high school football, right? So you, you played an element of sport where you were competitive in that, in that side of things as well. You know, I, I don't know that I'd say I was competitive, which is actually an interesting part of my own journey. Um, I was not natural as an athlete in any way, shape, or form. Um, in fact, I was a late bloomer. Um, football, the town I grew up in, American football was a, a massive part of yeah. the sort of subculture there, Friday night lights, that kind of, you know, the, the, yeah. sort of these things that yeah. become part of a, the cultural zeitgeist in TV. Uh, there was very much the way I grew up. And so I had this deep desire. I loved football. Uh, there was an amazing sense of community on the team. 
but I really, you know, I, I did not, I played what's called junior varsity football until my junior year, which is, you know, it's one of like two people on the team, I think. Um, and then my senior year was incredibly formative because the summer between my junior and senior year, I was so determined to play and to start and to have a role on the team that I remember I was, you know, I was probably doing four to five hours of additional work a day mm-hmm. to have a, to, to actually start. And what was interesting is in retrospect, that really set for me a foundation and understanding the value of work ethic. You know, I, I think, um, is it David Epstein who wrote the sports gene and he talks yeah. about hardware versus software. And I think for me, that was really an understanding of how powerful software can be in terms of the mind and the mindset um, to then, you know, have the hardware follow. I mean, I, I then started to grow and, and sort of fill into myself a little bit mm-hmm. as a, an awkward teenager. Um, but that left a really indelible mark on me. Uh, and, and I think later in the military, when I look at a lot of the guys I served with, um, you know, some were extraordinarily natural athletes. I mean, so like the top athletes in the world, others, I think, um, there's something that to be said about having to fail a lot to get good at something. Yeah. And that was for me, um, I always say I've, ne- I've never been naturally good at anything. I've been pretty much average at most things. And it takes me a lot more time than the average person to, to get, you know, to a place that, uh, yeah, yeah but it's a, so I'm curious, like a couple of questions, right. But Definitely want to get to kind of you said medicine and you went to the navy, but like there's a huge. I'm really curious about that. But before that, like what like you mentioned, kind of doing an extra four or five hours a day, right? What was driving you to do that? What was the, you know, that that requires a serious inner core of determination and drive. What well, can you tell us more about that? Because I can imagine you've used that in in areas of your life still to this day, right? But like, what's what's inside in you that that drives you that much? That's a really good question. I think when I deconstruct that, it was um, at the time I, it, as a as a teenager, I think there was a desire to contribute uh, and to play a role and to do the work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that comes out of the environment I grew up in and seeing people who were who were doing the work. I think a lot of it is some of it is it gets back to a leader. I mean, I, I you know my high school football coach. I think about it was someone who brought the best out in people to really get them. And, and this is frankly the work I Brilliant. do today, which is yeah. why I think that human potential is such an amazingly powerful concept that inspires all of us that when, you know, when we are, when we think about who we have the capacity to be in the world and someone brings out a higher level of that or a better version of us, it, I actually think that's one of the most inspiring human concepts there is. Yeah. Um, and so my high school football coach was really the first person to show me that. I mean, I, I did, you know, academically, I was always, uh, I loved reading as a kid. I was drawn to academics. It, it probably came more naturally to me, but I did a lot of reading and a lot of consuming sports was one where I had to figure out how to build a work ethic and a framework. And so I had a coach who was giving me that, but he was giving me that in the context of concepts like resilience and having to earn something in grit. And, you know, I, I think American football in, in the modern world for good reason, I think is, is struggling because of what we now know about head injuries and concussions. Yeah. But I will say at the same time as a sport to build grit, literally and figuratively taking hits and being knocked down by people that are bigger than you. I mean, conceptually, when you're, when you're a teenager and you have to learn that and get up and work harder, it's a really powerful concept. And I think as soon as I started to realize that 
I wanted to do the work um, in order to 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 have to earn a role and to contribute. Yeah, it's a good point, Brian. Obviously, I've I've a huge background in sport, still playing, so I can the lessons that I've like the lessons I've learned through my experience in sport and challenging myself and you know dedication and preparation and difference it makes and big game days and champion like all of these experiences and high pressure environments like they're, they're invaluable and they're that that's what you step through yourself but it's the the coaches along the way that are either i suppose can be hugely valuable and can you can really learn a lot from and can really nurture and support you to grow right and blossom or you know on the other side despite them you'll, you'll do your best work or you do your best um effort and you play your best despite them right so it's kind of there is there's a huge importance to the coaches and to um their responsibility right and accountability for you know being there for those people to help them grow right and i think um you lean into that responsibility brian for sure um so so thanks for sharing that brian and you like what age were you then brian when you entered into the navy well i was um i was a lot older um i was actually 28 when i joined the navy so i uh I came out, so I went to college and I went to university in Ohio to a public school, uh, studied international relations. I was there during 9-11. Uh, and in the States, obviously, that was a very formative event for anyone mm. studying international relations. It was a, you know, probably uh, the, the seminal event of, of my time, of our era. Uh, and that, you know, I already was dedicated to wanting to, to serve. Um, and so 9-11 took me down a path. Um, the summer after 9-11, I actually interned in the White House. And as you can imagine, that was an extraordinary front row seat to history. I mean, I think yeah. now with the 20 some years of retrospect, I certainly didn't appreciate as a 21 year old university yeah. student what I was witnessing. Um, but that then took me on a path where I, I left. I went you know, um, back from my final year at university and then I began working at the White House out of college. And that was a really, again, that was an extraordinary time. I mean, there's some, there's a, there's a whole different discussion we can have around the positives and negatives of that. Um, but it was for me to be in that space where two wars were beginning. Um, I was just at the macro level, I was seeing really how large government in the military industrial complex was reconciling the 20th and the 21st century. Mm. Cause what nine 11 really represented was a total shift in sort of eras of national security. And so for me, it was an amazing time to learn and, and, and take what I'd studied and put it into practice. Yeah. Um, where that eventually led me uh, was into the Pentagon, where I worked as a civilian for about three years. And then in the course of that time working in the Pentagon, I, I knew that if I missed my opportunity to serve in uniform in the U.S. military, I would, I would have some degree of regret. Yeah. And so um, I really caught the boat. It's the 11th hour. I was, I was kind of <laughs> as old as you can be to join. Um, but again, but that helped it there, Brian, right? That, I say that, that? that that maturity and what you've been through and your experience in the Pentagon, I mean, that all for sure, I would imagine, helped you fast track your development in, in, in the Navy, right? In the military. Yeah. I mean, I think there's nothing but good that comes of being older when you do something. I mean, really within reason. I mean, of course, yeah. the military has a physically demanding part of it. Um, but I think that as long as you are in physical shape, the mental development and mental maturity really helps frame, uh, what are the inevitable and, and intentional barriers put in front of you. And so I often say when I was going through training, I mean, a lot of my contemporaries were 18, 19 years old. Mm -hmm. I would have never had the maturity to do that. I mean, I'm always so impressed by these young guys who go through yeah. 
Um, yeah. I don't, and I think for me, I needed to be, I was frankly, I was 29 when I started training and 30 when I finished. And, uh, I you were still I in your twenties, Brian, you were still, you were still <laughs> in your twenties. <20s>, yeah. <laughs> you see your late twenties. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but it, you know, I, I, again, I think the wisdom that comes with that levity, uh, really helped me. Before you, I suppose you, you mentioned about kind of the learnings or the kind of the insights and the experience you gained from, I suppose, pre going into the Navy. Like if you were to pick out kind of what was the peak learning for you, again, that you just, that you just absorbed through your experience of being in the Pentagon, I suppose, post 9-11 and, you know, going in there young, like what, if you were to take out one key insight, just something that really has made a huge difference, a huge impact for you. When I was in the Pentagon, when you were in the Pentagon, and I suppose before you went into the Navy, right? And your experiences from yeah. after after college, there was a period of time, and then you went to the Navy, right? So, so what was that that period of time? I think there was very formative. I, I would imagine for you, you know. Yeah, I think there's. I, I I'm going to sort of reframe your question and give you two answers, even though you asked for one, uh, because oh, one you. is at the one is at the macro level, and I mentioned it earlier. But I think what what I really witnessed that has been invaluable in other disciplines and particularly now in healthcare is seeing, I, I think we underestimate in most of the organizational structures we exist in, whether we're in the education space or in healthcare, government, the military, the the, la- the 20th century moving into the modern world, the digital age and all that comes with it, that, that change is incredibly hard for organizations to navigate. Yeah. How do we communicate? How do we train people? What do we focus on? The things that make us comfortable are the things that we know and that came out of the legacy of the last 100 years or 50 years. But those very things are going to limit us going forward if we stay overly reliant on them. And so what I really witnessed was a front row seat to that reconciliation of like, you know, and it's still, I would say, I mean, here we are 20 some years later, I think the Pentagon is still, you know, struggling with that. And that's just the reality um, of most organizations and healthcare is the same, education is the same. So for me, it began a framework of how do we think about the modern world and building human systems in a digital age where there's a lot of change and dynamism. At the very tactical level, the other lesson for me, um, I think when you go into a craft, there's something to be said about doing the thing at the closest tactical level to understand the essence of anything. Yeah. You can, and this is the, this is really where Arena Labs namesake comes from. There's this famous Teddy Roosevelt quote, Teddy Roosevelt, president of the United States, finishes his presidency. He's like 42 years old when he's elected. So he's in his forties when he finishes and he's in France and he gives this famous speech called citizenship in a Republic. And what Roosevelt is, he's sort of um, challenging this group of elites in France to think about the world. Uh, through the prism of serving as leaders, doing hard things. And he's saying, look, no matter how successful you've been, a, a, a society can only flourish if its leaders continue to, to choose to do hard things. And in it, there, the, the sort of part of that quote that's that's popularized is called the man in the arena quote. He says, you can, yeah. it's not the critic who counts, but the man or woman who's in the arena marred by dust and sweat and blood, who knows the great victory, success, and the great failures of defeat. And he's saying like, you can either be on the sidelines of life or doing the thing. And I think for me, when I was in the Pentagon, I realized, you know, my brother at the time was serving in, in the military in Iraq. Oh. And I realized that I could later in life be in an air conditioned building in a suit and a tie doing this. But this was my opportunity to go serve 
and do the thing that I was passionate about. If I was going to do international relations or national security, being in uniform and serving the closest to the front lines to learn, that didn't mean I had to go into special operations, but to put a uniform on. um, And I almost missed that opportunity. And this is not the case for everyone, but for me, and I think for a certain archetype of young man or woman, that self-actualization process through the thing is really important. It's like, if you're going to coach in soccer, like having played is really important. Not everyone has to have played, but for me, there was a certain cachet to really understand my passions that was necessary. Outstanding brain. Um, It's very interesting. The the concept that, that quote of the man in the arena. And obviously I've heard it many years ago and it it really struck me very hard as well around just being in there doing the very thing that you might be very much afraid of but with courage stepping towards it and i think you reference it up brian as well about doing hard things people doing hard things and i think yeah that's very that's very close to you talk about the service archetype absolutely yeah people doing hard things like that's very close to you brian and i think it's kind of um it's just something that i sense is really um important for you in your own life is to do hard things you know yeah move towards it like you know and that, that comes from maybe when you were young as well doing doing those hard things so yeah tell us more about that doing hard things and kind of how you've kind of navigated your life doing those hard things yeah and i, I think Stephen, like what you're and even hearing you say it back to me you know there's a real danger you, you we, we can have a tendency to make life harder than it needs to be i think sometimes and and that's like its own mm-hmm. I think my own work in, in psychology and learning um, has shown me the shortfalls of, you know, intentionally suffering too much is not necessarily a place that we all want to exist. Yeah. But to be clear, and I'm not, I don't want to get on the soapbox. There's plenty of people do. I, I do think in the modern world, we've evolved as a society where we can move through life, not having to really go through gritty, hard, formative experiences. And not everyone needs to join the military. Not everyone needs to go through a boot camp. But doing something that requires of us a sense of sacrifice for a higher order good in society, I believe, is at the center of human flourishing. And I, I think yeah. we over-index towards that in the U.S. military of saying, and you know, in, in the the way we revere the military in the, in America is phenomenal. I think sometimes we can over-index saying like one of the only ways to serve is to be in the military. No, I mean, I now work in healthcare. I can tell you the average trauma nurse who is taking care of a trauma patient at 2 a.m. and goes home to have for breakfast with their family. There's yeah. the same level of sacrifice and service. The average teacher, um, you know, making not a lot of money to educate the next generation of kids. Like there's a lot of ways to serve, but I think doing hard things for the, the preservation and more importantly, the advancement of society, I, I personally believe that is the core of an extraordinary life experience and of, of self-actualizing. Yeah, I think so. I totally agree, Brian. Like that point, like that's what life in its essence is, is really, like to be fully alive is to be in that space of doing something difficult that is in service to those yeah. around you, you know? How do you think about the idea of doing hard things? Yeah, for me, I suppose it's like doing hard things is is where you really get to see yourself, right? Where you really get to experience yourself and experience your character, what you stand for, what you're all about. And where you get to experience life, you know, so putting yourself in situations that are outside your comfort zone, in the stretch zone, right? And, you know, in that in that challenge area is is where you can really grow and develop and experience life to its fullest, you know, and I think um, be a role model and be a leader and and be, be in a position where you can positively influence those around you because 
and we can gain that confidence, right? So even Mike, Michael Gervais, you know, you probably know him, probably personally well brain, but like he always says that uh, confidence comes from being in a position where you can say, I can do difficult things. Mm-hmm. So you can't get in yeah. a position to say that unless you actually do that, right? So it's, you know what I mean? So it's that that's what it means to me, like I suppose in its, in its simplest form, you know? Yeah. And, and I think like, um, I think there's a natural, um, I, I, again, if I, I, it scares me a little bit to think about if I had not joined the military, um, because I would have missed arguably the most formative experience of my life, even though I was 28, 29 years old. Um, and the reason it was so formative, I mean, high school football, a lot of these, there were other things that were hard. Um, but for me, I do believe that is in the process of, and this is, I think, you know, looking even at, at Joseph Campbell and sort of the idea of the hero's journey. Like, mm. I think this is deeply embedded in our psyches, in our societal evolution that like yeah, man. the, the idea of sacrificing for something bigger and it, the, 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 on one hand, there's a powerful element that comes out for society, but the other hand is personally uh, back to our earlier conversation on human potential, that's that's really what allows us to understand what we're capable of. Um, yep. And I think, you know, people often ask about special operations training. And I say, like, the thing that I that I am most that I think is most profound is that there's uh, every day there's something hard. But but at the macro level, every single day, for the most part, you're pushed up against your threshold of what you think you're capable of. And then a little bit further. Yep. And when you do that enough, you have you fundamentally reframe your sense of what you're capable of in the world. And that is, I think an incredibly empowering concept for any human. Yeah, no, it's pretty pretty powerful, Brian. I think the Flow Research Collective, so Stephen Kotler and the guys, again, probably mm-hmm. know him well, they've, they're through their research, I think they've figured out that it's like 4% just beyond your current capability is where you can really be at your best, whereas the challenge skills balance rates is kind of mm-hmm. like, in that, that's in the key area to stretch somewhere you're going to be at your peak is to push yourself in there just, just beyond where your current capabilities are. So, um, yeah. I think that's actually, I mean, I think this is something Andy Walsh has really taught me. Andy, you know, Andy is brilliant at taking very simple models and using them as frameworks to just think about, you know, things that have been around a long time to think about our own evolution. And Mm. he talks a lot about the Yerkes Dodson curve. And and I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's, I think it came out of the mid 1900s, very old. It's one of the original simple models of performance. And there's a parabola, you know, it basically says like, you know, it, some degree of stress is necessary for us to, to pr- improve our performance. If we're tired and we don't feel um, some stress, it's hard for us to really get up and, and perform. Mm. But there's a point, you know, you hit the peak of that parabola, the top of that curve, and then stress becomes overwhelming and we reduce our performance. And burn ocean. Andy, yep. Yeah. Andy always focuses just over the backside of that curve. That's where growth happens. Yep. And it's, you know, when we're just beyond our peak comfort zone into being uncomfortable because there's more stress than we can handle, that's where we grow. Yep. And what Andy talks a lot about that I love that, again, really changed my life is the thing that matters most in that space, the space beyond where we're comfortable is who am I? When we have a strong sense of who we are to your question, yeah, question great question. School, yeah, yeah. Why in high school was I spending four hours a day? Yeah. trying to to improve myself so I could play that came down to like, I wanted to be someone who contributed as a teammate who was doing yeah. the work and who had the capacity and earned it. And, and when we understand that question, that's what allows us to stay in that space because we have a reason to be there. Yeah, a reason to be there. Yeah. Brian spot on. And it's like human evolution and hunter gatherers, like where we all come from is to be part of a community, to be part of a tribe and to bring value. And that will never change. Right. 
that would never we're hardwired for that and if we're not like there's literally chemicals peptides released in the body that make even through covid brain i mean like when we were isolated through covid we were feeling down we were feeling dull we were feeling lousy but there's a peptide released in in your internal systems that make you feel that way because in hunter gatherer days if you would isolate it away from the tribe that means you're not going to survive so to encourage you back into the tribe is to make you feel that way right so our bodies will guide us in ways right and i think um being part of a community or tribe and bringing value is is this was what we're all about as humans you know yeah yeah and we'll always be all about but brian coming back to your point right so who am i right so who is brian ferguson who is brian ferguson <laughs> oh, that's it you know the, the I, I don't want to derail us i i will say um if i'm being totally honest right now i think that is the, uh that's probably in a that some element of that is evolving and and some of that is um you know the last several years kind of my own uh, some, some loss in life and in my family, not to, I don't want to take us down a, you know, a darker, not a dark, but a sadder path. I mean, it's just the no. reality, um, so on the beautiful you. side, my daughter's four and seeing, you know, seeing the eyes of the world through a child, I think there's a natural evolution as an individual, as a father. Yeah. Um, and I think now being seven years removed from the military, I feel like it, it's, it's surprising how much time it takes to sort of decompress from, um, the identity of, of serving in special operations. Yeah. And I only served for seven years. I mean, there's guys who served for 30. So I had a very short stint, but it's still the residue of that experience is very positive, but it, as an identity, you know, moving into one's own yeah. path in the world. So as a result of that, I feel like, a you know, a, a lot of, of that has, is evolving. I guess that's always the case, but it feels more profound for me right now. But at a basic level, um, I think the, the the principles to me, the two most important principles I live by, the first is humility. And to me, the idea of, you know, the, the, the sort of original Latin of hummus, like being rooted and grounded in in the world and life and the, the exploration of truth and um, understanding the world around me, that's always been at my core. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of times we think about humility as the lack of braggadocious, but to me, it really is if one is always humble, no matter how successful or how many successes or failures we've had, it keeps a prism of learning. It's being an expert learner. Jürgen Heitman, who's another founder of Liminal Collective yeah. and it's had a massive impact on me. Jürgen talks a lot about the expert learner. And the root of that is to me is humility. And that's, that's you know, again, as a father, as an entrepreneur, it's just a steward of someone trying to, to, to have an impact in the world. Yeah. Um, and then the other one is authenticity. And I think authenticity can be, that can be thrown around in a lot of different ways. But to me, um, I think when I, one of the things that was really powerful about my experience in Naval Special Operations is this, there's this authentic, the people around you are so wildly diverse in terms of their backgrounds. And you've got people from 18 to, you know, every age possible with every socioeconomic status, but they're all just so deeply authentic and clear on who they are. And that breeds, uh, that's that's where high-performing teams come from. It's like allowing yeah. someone to fully embody uh, who they are in the world. And for me, um, I'm conscious that our prior successes can put us on a path that can lead us away from like, you know, who we are, who we want to be. Because if we're constantly growing, in some ways, we have to be letting go of some of that identity. That's actually a lot of work that I think gets mm. easily overlooked. So for me, humility and authenticity um, are the, the sort of core values that show up in every part of my life. And when I'm doing that well, I feel like it allows me to be clear, you know, with yeah, our labs and our work in healthcare, you know, with my daughter, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. So, so Brian, thanks for sharing. And you mentioned just um, 
there was challenging period, challenging, there, there was challenges, mm-hmm. right? And, yeah. and deep sadness challenges the last couple of years. And I know like as, as humans that, you know, we all face into to these challenges and some, some people, you know, will deal with that better than others. And I think for you, Brian, I know that you're, you're a leader in many ways and I know you've, you're, you're dealing with whatever you're dealing with. And I think essentially people can learn from, from you and your approach to, you know, these situations that you're going through. So I wonder, Brian, if, if you're okay, that you might kind of give an insight into how you overcome or how you're dealing with, you know, the loss of someone close to you yeah. or, or sadness of what you're going through, you know, because I think that is very, um, it's it's something common to us all that um, I think sometimes maybe if we spoke about it a little bit more, it would, would help people. Of course. Do. Yeah. I think, um, you know, to, to provide some context, I, what uh, one one framework back to the service archetype. My mom had a massive impact on me because of mm. who she was, how she lived. Uh, she passed away when I was nineteen, so I was a freshman at university. Mm. Um, you know, it was that was really hard on me, but it it allowed me. Um, I think it, 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 there's a lot of good that clearly came out of that. Um, and then my brother, uh, my brother served in special operations as well. He was in the army. Uh, my brother passed, uh, six years ago, almost to the day, uh, his 40th birthday was actually, uh, on Friday and he passed in, in 2016, he took his own life. Um, and that was really destabilizing on every level. I, you know, as my only sibling, I often Mm. say, I think there's something about brothers there, even, even when you're not communicating, they're sort of, they, they keep your equilibrium in the world. Um, and then, you know, right as COVID was happening, my father passed. And, and so for me, uh, that really set off, I think, a sequence of uh, there's something to be said when one's, I think, nuclear family or family of origin is no longer uh, around and, and mm. alive. It, it, mm. it forces, it, I think, unexpectedly for me, uh, a higher degree of introspection on this question of who am I? And, <laughs> you know, I am obviously the, the last one living. So how am I going to live in a way that you know, there's not, not out of obligation, but I was celebrating their lives. And and now my daughter's four and a half and making sure that she feels pure love and joy. And in order for that to happen, um, I had to do the work. I always say like doing the work and that's yeah. the emotional yeah. work of mourning and grieving and asking those questions. Um, so really for a good three years, I, I would say like I've done uh, probably the highest density of work in my life around those things. Because I think for me, and I, I think for, for everyone listening, um, you, at the end of the day, you need a reason to do that work. I mean, we should all want to do it for yeah. ourselves. At least for me, I probably wasn't going to just do it for myself, but when my daughter was born, yeah. um, that was an impetus where I knew if I didn't do the work, it was going to put a barrier between us and sort mm-hmm. of my, I always say, I could feel myself hedging my love for her because I was afraid of losing someone mm-hmm. again. Um, and so that was, that for me was, a a real motivator to, to go and, you know, I think I'm, we're all works in progress. I certainly am nowhere near the end of the road, but I do feel a lot clearer around those, you know, some of that grieving and that I needed to do. Yeah. Thanks for sharing Brian. And obviously sorry to hear of, of that, that unfortunate journey that, that you've been on in your family and, um. I really appreciate you sharing. And this was just, you mentioned kind of the three, three years of just the biggest, like you, I can see, I obviously bring your, you mentioned expert learner and humility and authenticity. I think you've, you've always sought to improve yourself and, and step towards challenging situations. And you mentioned those three years is where you've done the most work or kind of, you know, you really 
focused like could could you share an insight into kind of what that work was and kind of yeah some some of the best or some of the most impactful elements of that work for you of course and i think there's um probably three buckets to mm. that i think about that that might be helpful to anyone who's i i, I actually have a, you know i think most people listening are probably experiencing at a minimum more stress and anxiety than they ever have in their life just the nature mm. again of the modern world um but for me, I would say um, the first bucket, one of the blessings my mom gave me, I mean, sort of back to the, the madness of growing up is one of nine children in a house that was, you know, had all sorts of love, but a lot of craziness. My mom was a big believer in mental health. So hmm. when I was a kid, um, I actually had, you know, as a, as a fairly young kid, I had anxiety um, that came out of my, my parents had a bit of a tumultuous relationship. And so it, it, you know, nothing physical, but it was, it was intense as a kid. And, um, because I was the oldest, I, you know, now with retrospect, I think I had this sense of trying to control things. And, yeah. and so my mom saw that in me early and, um, introduced me to a guy I worked with. I've been working with now for 30 some years. Um, and he is just, he's really interesting. He grew up, his grandfather was Chinese. He's trained in sort of Eastern thinking and Chinese medicine, but Western yeah. um, psychology. And he, you know, really gave me a set of tools from the time I was a teenager that actually allowed me to, it's interesting now, because when you look at a lot of these cultures, we revere in performance, people who are, you look at sports psychology or people who are extraordinary performers, that all comes back to an understanding of one's inner landscape and mental, the ability to work through pressure and anxiety and stress so he was teaching me early on meditation and self-hypnosis yeah. and how to relax. That was in the context of a, you know, a young kid who had anxiety, but that actually really was powerful for me later in life in sport in the military. Um, and so I have continued that sort of relation. I think it's, I, I'm, I'm personally a believer. Uh, you ask the average person listening to this podcast, who's really into performance. They can tell you how many hours a week they work out, probably what they eat. And you ask yeah. them, how are you taking care of the mental health? And most people I think it's becoming probably a, little, a bit more common, but like the average person isn't doing that same work for their own mental health. Um, and I would argue more than ever in the year 2023, that has to be a paramount foundation we build our own holistic health. Yeah. Uh, so the first bucket for me is working with someone who you trust and can develop a longitudinal relationship and just a day-to-day -day life, let alone the extremes of grieving and loss and you know the, the things that cause suffering. Um, yeah. The second sure, bucket for me... Uh, I did a series of, you know, uh, what I would call intensive retreats. I have found personally, I get the most, the way that I work, it's very difficult for me to disconnect in the average day. I'm, you know, it's, it's just like you, I've got a lot going on. Um, you, you know, you're running a business, you're constantly connected. And yeah. so I find that when I am forced to disconnect, literally like no phone, no screens, no communication for up to one to two weeks, that is incredibly powerful for yeah. really taking away the noise and listening. Um, I went through one program called the bridge, um, that was intense. That was more about recovering from trauma. That was after my brother passed and I needed yeah. to do some real work. That was two weeks of like unintentional deep. I lived, I lived there for two weeks. I'd actually heard about that through Dr. Peter Atia's podcast. For those Peter who are interested, podcast, he does a, yeah. he does a, um, an interview with Dr. Paul Conti on the bridge. You know, if you're, you know, I didn't know something like that existed. That was incredibly profound. And I went through a program called um, Hoffman Institute. This is probably yeah, two yeah. years ago I now. I heard of that, yeah. Um, I heard of that. And for sure, yeah. yeah that's similarly, eight days. Um, and that was, you know, that was not as impactful because the bridge for me really was the big one, but it, it still, Hoffman was really powerful. Yeah. Um, and then I actually, I mentioned earlier, I, you know, I did a week 
earlier this year with um, David White in Costa Rica, who's, you know, become my favorite poet. I think just those times to get away and allow yourself to do something you love for me, the ocean, I was surfing in Costa Rica. Oh, stop. Um, Incredible. Yeah. Second bucket is like the deep kind of the deep work of, I think, structured something where it's forcing you in a structured way to, to listen and go internal. Yeah. And then the third bucket is actually like the essence of arena and, and what we're doing with arena strive, which is like, there are proven tools. You know, uh, one of the first times I heard, you know, Dr. Andrew Huberman talks about the bi-directional relationship between psychology and physiology. And if we want to feel better psychologically, we can start it, it. We don't necessarily need to focus just on mental health. Part of it is what are the behaviors and rituals you have that improve your physiology, mm. working out, hot, cold, breathing, meditation, being in nature, stand up paddling. Um, so th- what we're doing in healthcare is bringing that, that body of work and human factors to frontline medicine. But I ought back to this idea of authenticity. You know, there's never anything I'm going to ask someone to do that I haven't done myself and having yeah. practices around being physical, working out. Um, I don't get outside nearly as much as I'd like, but I really am intentional about long periods of being in nature, yeah. uh, the water in particular, but having, I think the third bucket is like understanding what are the things that change our physiology for the better. Um, and that, mm. that's been really powerful for me. Thanks for sharing, Brian. So, so even just focusing on your, <clears throat> like your own, like you wrote, you wrote, like I suppose, Arena Labs, Arena Strive, Limited Collective, all of these powerful movements and communities and, and, and the work you do is really powerful, right? So, but like for you, I suppose, role modeling that, what, what's your, like how do you give yourself the best chance to show up as your best for whatever never you have, right? I know there's rituals and habits and, you know, all those things. Yeah. So what's, 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 your, what's your kind of um, key, you know, morning think- and evening rituals, all that kind of stuff. I'm looking forward to understanding more about that brain, yeah? Yeah, I'm I'm uh I'm definitely ruthless about my my sleep and rest. Like I uh I'm an I'm a morning person. I've definitely evolved where for the most part I always kid around. I, I live in Nashville, Tennessee, and people always ask me for restaurant recommendations. And I just am not I've never been a foodie, but I'm also just like uh I enjoy quiet evenings and and winding down. So for as much as I work and for as much as I'm connected. I'm very ruthless about my wind down routines in the evening and not being connected right up until I fall asleep. Um, And that allows, you know, it's interesting because I often say when you look at, you know, I love James Clear's work in Atomic Habits and he talks, Mm -hmm. it's not the goal, it's the system. And if you want to be someone who has a quiet, thoughtful, composed morning, it's not the morning to focus on. It's the, the evening routine before that allows you to get to bed on time and wake up rested. Um, That's been for me a huge foundation in the last several years. Um, and then I really, you know, I, I think the thing that I am in this season, um, not nearly as diligent about, but at least five days a week getting a really good workout. I mean, I'd like to say I do it every day, um, but there are plenty of days where that, you know, and, 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 and for me, I think I've had to evolve around as an entrepreneur, like the reality is I'm not going to be able to get a 90 minute workout every day. And so how yeah. am I creative in getting some sort of movement? Um, and then I have, I'm, I'm very, for me, uh, I have in the last couple of years gotten into transcendental meditation. And for a long time, I did more classic like Vipassana using headspace. I have found TM just works better for me. Um, and I think that's part of the work for everyone is what's the practice that allows you some inner silence and contemplation. Is it prayer? Is it TM? Is it, you know, so, um, that's, that has been, um, for me, the most 
as a mindfulness practice, the one that's been the, the, the most powerful. And then I love um, cold plunging and sauna have been a really big part of life the last three years. And, and I do find, I think the reason that there is such a spike in interest in cold plunging is that everybody feels more stress and pressure. And when you get in a cold tub, it forces you to confront your sympathetic fight or flight and yeah. breathe through it yeah. into parasympathetic to relax. And that yeah. is actually a learned skill. So the ice tub becomes this forced framework that actually applies yeah. to life. It's like a microcosm, like a microcosm for life, yeah. right? It's like, here's all the stress you've been faced with, deal with it. And you yeah. have to, right? I, I actually went into an ice bath two days ago, cryotherapy ice bath, two and a half degrees, two and a half degrees, yeah. not apparently. Celsius, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like it was like nearly like frozen. I actually yeah, yeah. like which which was too which is too like I literally it was I got out twice. Eventually got back in and stayed in then for for eight minutes. But oh, it was hard. But I'm 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 like Chris Brian. That's my uh, sauna ice bath. Particular is kind of like, especially when I'm playing sport. It's good for recovery as well. So yeah. I try and get in there as much as I can. But what's your like? Uh, I think um, temperature wise, Brian, what's your what's your kind of Boundary line. Yeah. You know, I actually, I, but so there's, I don't think there's nearly enough. I, there's starting to be a lot more research on this. So I don't think we know yet. Um, you know, I, I, again, I think uh, Huberman Lab podcast, there's a lot of folks who are exploring this stuff, but there's still not a lot of published data. Hmm. Um, my thesis is once you get comfortable with cold and like anything, being comfortable in cold is a perishable skill. So if I haven't been in a cold bath or, you know, a couple of weeks, it feels really damn cold when you get back in it. Yeah. But if you're doing it every day, my thesis is that having ice in the tub, I I just believe there's some sort of like deeper adaptive mechanism that feels healthier when there's actually yeah. ice in the bath. And I don't know what it is, but for me personally, um, when I can let the, the, you know, get about a, a quarter to a half inch of ice that then has to be broken that you get in and sit for me, I just, my body craves it more. And it's not about trying to be tougher and colder. I just find that I feel the most uh, invigoration yeah. when it's, when there's ice in the tub. So that puts it, you know, at about 37 degrees Fahrenheit, which I think is, I don't know, is that about a degree, degree Celsius or something? Yeah. And I'm sure what it would be degrees, but I say around 10 degrees is kind of, but essentially like when you look at that, remember you mentioned earlier, the, the curve, right? So you got, and I put this in the show notes, but you got that kind of, pressure and performance and comfort mm-hmm. zone stretch zone and the, the peak of the curve and it's just beyond that curve and the stretch zone where you're really going into the red zone you probably have to find that with even with your ice bath and even with the sauna just where you're uncomfortable in a way that it's challenging and it's, it is doing difficult thing and it's going to mm-hmm. force you to overcome and adapt and you know deal with it so that's what you, if, you're, if you're comfortable you're not it's not a growth experience right so you want to figure that out because everyone is different as well right because my partner Erica here, um, she might she might not survive a three degree, you know, cold. <laughs> you know, what I mean? yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. like twenty degrees could be enough for her, right? So just meeting yourself where you're at, and then just pushing, 100%. just moving, yeah. moving one step at a time up up that ladder, like yeah. And that's the beauty of most of these mechanisms, I think, and a lot of the work you do. And I think, like, you know, this is a lot of the work we do in healthcare. Is you know, for the average nurse or physician, surgeon where what they need is wildly different and what's exciting and i think what i'm really proud of that we've built with arena strive is something that allows the individual like the essence of human performance is deeply individual like there are very few things that we know at the meta level everybody needs to do in the same way there are there are rough ideas of you know we should have 
time outside, but what is that? How, what does exercise look like? I think the idea of being able to explore what your edge is and what helps you mm. with that, that's really the work. And when people get there and find it, it's empowering. Um, but I think a lot of people get intimidated to say, well, I need to do the Wim Hof or LeBron James, whatever it is like that, that I think gets, gets sometimes people, um, they get overwhelmed. and don't want to try it. Yeah. So like arena labs, right? So high performance medicine and high pressurized environments and to bring an element of flow to that. Mm-hmm. Like, t- just tell us more about, tell us more about that. Tell us more about, because it is, it's, it's individually people that are, that are pushing into that difficult space, but it's then actually bringing it all together at a collective, which is, which is really, um, just really something, right? So can you just sh- share more, Brian, about kind of, about that, about Arena Labs and, and kind of how you bring that collective um, collaboration yeah. and flow, right? Which is so solid. Yeah, at, at, a, at a high level, Stephen, I, I stumbled into the work of medicine. I did, as I mentioned, my origin story comes out of healthcare. So it's, it's a bit, um, Poetic, I suppose, that I've ended up here later in life. Um, yeah, but... David White, David White, be proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, poetic. well done, bringing that all around. Yeah, um, but you know, the, the at a basic level, if you think about, I was looking at you know just the impressive list of people you've had on the podcast and the the conversations you're driving and just the work you're doing in general. That it at a, at the core level. That is about bringing the tools of human flourishing, human performance, and human potential in in some way to a larger audience. And it's learning from the best in the world and saying, what is it that works? What is it we know know, can help people live a better life? It's a a framework I believe deeply in. I think one of the things I remember Andy Walsh telling me, I remember him saying this early on, is to say, you know, he he got to a point where he said, "I'm, I'm not necessarily interested in helping the 99th percentile, get that extra 1%, meaning the pro athlete, the Olympic athlete. Yeah. Like, how do we think about the average person interested, introducing them to these tools? And for me, if you, you think about stewards in society of human health, people in healthcare, particularly in the last three and a half years during the pandemic, the, the provocative question we ask at Arena Labs is why don't we offer those people the same tools, training, and technology that the world's top performers get? And when I say top performers, particularly people who have to perform in high risk, high consequence environments, because we know people who work in those environments, the subtext of being in a high risk, high consequence profession is stress and pressure. And if we work in those professions without these tools, over time, that stress and pressure take a toll that leads to physiological, eventually psychological impact. So Reno Labs, our focus is in what we call high performance medicine. And it is doing just that. It's bringing the tools, training, and, and data of the world's top performers into frontline healthcare to doctors and physicians. Uh, right now, we're working across the United States and Canada. Um, but we have, you know, it's it's something I'm deeply passionate about because I think what's exciting is again when you take someone in the worlds you and I are very familiar with, who's an elite athlete, they've probably already had this conversation and played with some of these tools. But in modern medicine. You know, I'm sure it's the same in Ireland. I mean, we really revere doctors and nurses in society. And as a result, we think that they know everything there is to know about the human body. The reality is the average person who's gone through nursing school or medical school probably had zero training in performance under pressure, physiology, stress recovery. 100%, Um, especially like in Ireland, I can vote for that, right? And But bringing it all together, Brian, like so so, like individually, like the training individually in in their own high, high performance and how they're going to deal with pressure. 
but they need to work as a team more than any. Like I suppose, obviously, you've got the the people on the front lines of military and mm-hmm. course of sport. Like there's teams every. We're all part of a team. Everyone in this world is a part of a team. Um, but if any team needs to work well together, it's those people in the operating theater that have somebody's life in their hands. Like, so yeah. it's so you've got such a worthy and noble cause. Uh, I you know I feel compelled to, to say that, and I also feel compelled to say as well, Brian, that I can't help but feel that your mother would be so proud of you. You know. Uh, means a lot, man. Thank yeah, you. yeah, I, I just, feel that. just come through me. Yeah, yeah, I feel that a lot. I, it's it's wild. I mean, again, uh, the the way life works. But um, I recently was just at this. There's a large organization here in the U.S. called the Association of Operating Room Nurses. It's the largest nursing organization mm-hmm. in the world. And I was in Denver speaking to them, and and a lot of the their senior leaders are people who would have been my mom's contemporaries. And it really oh. was. I felt you know a real blessing to be there with these people who. <laughs> frankly, had a formative uh, impact on my own life just by virtue of my mom's work. And mm. I would say like to this day, my mom's nursing friends still send me a text message on her birthday. She passed away, you know, 23 years ago now. So yeah. it's, uh, yeah, Especially. I really feel grateful for that. Yeah, Brian, man. So congratulations, right? So look, coming back to, to Arena Labs, they tell us about the whole, right? So mm-hmm. I know like you've got a lot, like does Arena Strive and I've, I've seen seen what you have and it's super impressive, but like, how can you explain to the people listening in how you do what you do and the impact that you have, you know? Yeah, we, so so the how has been the work. You know, we've been doing this for seven years. Uh, we used to do it in hospitals. We would embed with operating room teams and ICU teams mm-hmm. and teach them these tools. We teach them mindfulness or visualization or how to breathe. And, and that is, I think, Stephen, what's different if you work in athletics or a lot of the other verticals you and I are familiar with, the average team can say, hey, 9 a.m. on Tuesday, we're going to do a team training on mental performance. Healthcare is so dynamic that, that just, that's literally impossible because the operating room schedule changes. You have emergencies and traumas. And so we had to figure out a way to deliver these tools and this experience, what we call a, you know, healthcare's first performance coach, a coaching platform. We had to do that asynchronously, meaning we couldn't be there in real time because the schedule of every person in healthcare is different. Some people working nights, some people work 12 hour shifts, some work, you know, eight. And uh, COVID forced us to reimagine how we were delivering this idea of high performance medicine. And so in, in 2021, we launched our first platform product called Arena Strive. And again, we call it healthcare's first performance coach. And the idea is you have 24-7 access to a coach and a learning experience that takes you through the, the proven tools of performance and allows you to experiment and experience those tools so that at the end of a six-week journey, you walk away with one or two rituals that help you just live a more grounded life not just in the hospital, but more importantly, at home with your family or loved ones. Uh, and so that the the actual experience, the how is an asynchronous learning platform. So a downloadable experience, it's an app on your phone. Um, but we like to think it's way more than technology and way more than yeah. an app. We're ultimately human performance companies. So when you download that experience, you number one are getting access to a learning journey. So we have you know, brilliant people teaching the modules around interaction with light or interaction with the breath or sleep. Yeah. But then at the same time, you have a wearable sensor and that wearable sensor is giving you a basic map of your biometrics, your sleep, your cardiac signature as your resting heart rate and your heart rate variability, which are amazing insights into stress and recovery. And then the third component is you have a performance coach who is helping you understand that data 
in the context of your goals and on that learning journey. So you may be a young nurse who's just trying to figure out how to be more focused in the stress of work, or you could be a seasoned surgeon who's trying to figure out how to better balance life at home because you're so busy. But we like to think we can serve both of those because that performance coach is saying, here's your data. Let's, let's focus on your improving your sleep quality, or let's focus on using the breath to lower that heart rate. But that entire journey is hyper-personalized for our frontline doctors and nurses. Yeah. And then what we do is aggregate that. We bring all that data together. So our hospital partners actually, just like a pro sports team or a mili- you know, military special operations unit, they get a high level data set of stress, pressure, rest, and recovery to make smarter human capital decisions. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that data, like, so I see you have a bootstrap on there, right? Yeah. So yeah. I yeah, have one to, of our partners. I have one of those myself. Had to remove it because when the kids came along, it was just red. You know, you get a kind of a, <laughs> it was just red. It was red. I couldn't take, I couldn't. Yeah, I got a new, a new base. It was messing. It was messing with me. So I took it off, but I have it here. I still pin. I still, still good, still good with it. You know, I'm going to put it back on. If you get the stage out of three, nearly two, I'm thinking um, I might be able to better control sleep and because it was constant. Anyway, that's, that's just a side note. Kind yeah. of a, uh, but the whoop shop is very good. I mean, it's the, the I suppose I'd vote for for whoop and, and the wearable partner you have there that it gives really powerful data. And with that data, you should have everything you need to make more informed decisions about rest and sleep and recovery and, and other things that need to happen, right? So exercise, whatever it is. And, and I think that's Stephen, yeah. one of the things that's really where we have to be really careful with our work is how we couch it and frame it. Um, because that data can be overwhelming to someone, you know, again, the audience, most of our listeners today are people with exposure and experience in biometrics and wearable sensors and, and performance tools. Most surprisingly, most physicians and nurses are not. And so if I give you data that says you are stressed and underrested, that only often accelerates your sense of angst. And so we have to take that data and be careful with how do you use this as a map? to reframe where you can actually feel a sense of impact and control in your life or a sense of agency. Um, and that's the, that's where the coaching component is so, so important is to say, look, here's the data. Let's not, let's not freak out because to your point, you wake up and it's red, but let's mm-hmm. understand what might we do to, to feel like we can impact that. Yeah. And that, that sense of um, progress, right. So making mm-hmm. progress, right. As you go through that, that data, right. is kind of like, okay, I can, not I can do something about it, right? And this is what I'm going to do. Having that plan. So I was thinking there, Brian, like what is there plans for you guys to take arena labs more more global and, and have more of an impact on a global arena? Yeah, I mean, I obviously our our vision, we've continued to stay very focused in healthcare. It is a mission-driven uh focus for us. I mean, again, I think. When we look at, you know, the back to where we started this conversation, service archetypes, that in order for a society to be flourishing, our doctors and nurses, our teachers, our law enforcement, our military need to feel like they have the tools that they need. And so we like to stay in that niche of the service archetype in medicine. Yeah. Um, I would love for this to be global. Um, you know, we, we interestingly continue to get sort of uh, often it's it's one of the, I suppose, the, the beautiful powers of the modern world. And you and I having a conversation between Ireland and, and the States is that our audience grows. I think the ability to tactically implement um, outside the States becomes a little trickier, more just because of everything from language to how we teach this stuff. But um, yeah. to be very clear, that's our that's our goal to become the, the largest yeah. aggregator of stress and human factors data so that we I, I really believe we can change the landscape of healthcare. I think 
Um, the great irony of, of modern medicine is that doctors and nurses are taught to take care of other people at the expense of themselves. And yeah. no other yeah. no other industry does that. Yeah, no, good stuff, Brian. I'm, I'm very, no surprise, right? But I'm glad to hear that there's, I suppose, massive plans to to bring this to, um to give this opportunity, right? To, to healthcare practitioners and obviously patients, Ultimately, right, that that mm-hmm. that that impacts them as well as the the practitioner, right? So it's three sixty, and I'm delighted to hear that. And look, if I can help in any way, Brian, you know where to find me, man. So I I definitely love to support Thank you in you your journey. Thank no you. No problem. So so I was I was also curious about um Arena Labs being kind of niched in that area of kind of healthcare and medicine, but then there's the limited collective. Right, the limited collective, which is to enable yeah. humanity's boldest endeavors, and that's such a powerful yeah. um, statement. Enabling humanity's boldest endeavors, yeah. it leads it's such. Uh, you lean in, right? So, <laughs> tell me more about that, right? Where is that? Like, where's? Tell us about those boldest endeavors, right? Tell us about. Can you give us some examples? Just tell us about what you're doing there, you know. Yeah. So, so this idea of, um, again, the, you know, when, if it, for the listener who, who is unclear, so arena labs, you know, our, our focus is in high performance medicine and working in healthcare. You can think of kind of the umbrella above that as being the liminal collective and liminal, uh, the, to, de- to deconstruct those two words, I think to start is really important and, and liminality or the, the idea of the liminal, uh, comes out of this Greek idea of threshold. And the Greeks believed that it was in the threshold spaces of life and liminality where the most growth happens. And if you think about it, anytime we leave a known chapter of life into the unknown, we grow, whether that's leaving home from high school to university, leaving university, your first job, moving cities, you name it, losing someone and and sort of going through that pain and suffering, that liminality is the essence of the, the most beautiful essence of human growth. And then collective was to say, this is not a traditional company. But rather, how do we think about a collective of the most extraordinary thinkers and doers in society? And if we bring that together around the concept of liminality and exploring the unknown, there's something really powerful there. Um, and this gets back to Andy's work at Red Bull early on. And this is what he was doing extraordinarily well. Mm. Uh, so liminal collective, then the, the mantra there is enabling humanity's boldest endeavors. And if you look at, you know, as an example, what Andy did at Red Bull, um, you, you mentioned earlier, um, um, Oh, the, the psychologist um, drawing a blank right now. For Michael Gervais. Um, Michael Gervais, Andy yeah. and Michael, and what they did with Felix Baumgartner and Red Bull Stratos is taking yeah. a human in a balloon to the stratosphere and skydiving back to Earth. Sometimes these things can just be stunts. On the other side, they can be powerful insights into the human spirit and understanding and deconstructing yeah. what is it that allows them to do something we thought was impossible. And so much of Liminal's work, you know, spans from you know, can we can we take a human down to the Titanic? And this is, I guess, in in recent news, probably not the best example, but how might we look at deep sea exploration in really creative ways to, you know, we know more about the surface of the moon than we do the deep sea. So how Hmm. do we look at human exploration of the deep ocean in new creative ways? How might we look at the essence of creativity and what that does, whether that's a company or a sports team. Um, And so we think about bold endeavors that advance not just human society, but the human spirit, understanding what we're capable of. That's always been the framing architecture of Liminal. And I think what what people like Andy and Hobie Darling and Jürgen do so well is to say, look, we can have these big sort of inspiring concepts and still bring them down to the tactical. And I think that's always the challenge is it's one thing to talk about something like human potential. 
On the other end, how do we make that palpable and practical for someone to be inspired to do a little more? Um, And I think that's what Lemel has continued to do in in a lot of different verticals. Yeah, keep keep so the limited collective, right? All of this would be in the show notes, but there's some they're a company that you have to there's some follow them because I, I I won't even ask what the next project is, Brian. It's probably confidential, but I'll they can, <laughs> you should you know, definitely I can have uh, Andy and Jurgen, Ben Potvin. Uh Ben is Ben Potvin and Greg Curtis. Ben is is now um, you know, he's running a lot of the creative side of Liminal. Ben was one of the early designers of Cirque du Soleil. He is an American gymnast, uh from awesome. Canada. Those the three of those guys would be a blast to have on the show. Oh, I'd love I'd love that, Brian. If they if they'd be if they'd be up for it, right? I mean, yeah. of course. But um, so thanks for for um, bringing their names into into the into the mix. So so Brian, just I know we spoke like a couple couple more questions before I know we wrap up because I know we're at time. But like um, I mentioned some of the challenges you've been through. What's the biggest challenge you're facing right now? Uh I would say. For arena, let me start with arena. Um, it is continuing to find. Uh, this is a great opportunity, I suppose. Just your listeners continuing to find people who are passionate about human factors and performance to come work in healthcare. Um, and it's not that there aren't people who want to do that, but I think every you know every mission will say this. But but one of the things I am proud of that is also challenging is our mission is incredibly nuanced. Meaning, if you sit at the intersection of you know wearable sensors and data and learning and coaching and healthcare there's a lot to do that well in order to make it feel practical for a nurse or a surgeon mm. and so finding people who have experience in elite sport in the military and the creative arts who then want to bring that expertise into medicine um as we grow right now we are getting into bigger and bigger work and uh just in need of, of that level of talent and frankly, passion. So I'll put that out, you know, if anyone is uh, listening this far in and, and uh, that, <laughs> that sort of uh, gets you excited, then I'd love to yeah. hear from you. Um, and I think on the personal level, it is just continuing that idea of like, how you settling into um, what is the backside of a lot of growth and change and new identity. And, and I think, just in the spirit of liminality. Like at some point we move out of the liminal into the structured space of life again. Um, and I feel like I've been in the liminal space, you know, for the last three and a half years, uh, pretty deep and, and in a way that's been necessary. And, and now it's, it's finding that really solid footing again, um, which is a challenge and an opportunity. Challenge and an opportunity, right? Excellent brain. So last question, and this is probably a selfish one, but I know there's many fathers out there. Yeah. What makes a great father? Oh, and what makes a great yeah. and probably what makes a great man, right? Very intertwined, yeah. you know. Ah, oh, man, that's my favorite question. You know, I, I do think, in terms of identity, that's you know my core. I will say, like, yeah. if I really think about who I am, it's I, I would say right now my answer would be I'm I'm Win's dad. You know, my my daughter mm-hmm. has brought just extraordinary new perspective and energy into my life in a way that I'm you know, uh, it's it's beyond articulation, as you know. Uh, um, what is it? I mean, I, I will say, I mean, this, this can sound trite and cliche, but I, I, I have settled in that when a child knows they are unconditionally loved, I think everything else is second. All that matters. And that all that matters, yeah. right? Yeah. And that, you know, I think at the age our children are at, that comes in the cachet of time. And so it is spending quality present time 
And that is really damn hard in today's world because I can yeah, easily man. find myself checking my phone or, you know, all the silly distractions. So for me, it is being wildly intentional with time. Um, and then I think it's learning for me to understand how much of what I am, I want her to learn is a projection of my own, you know, shortcomings or my own uh, fears versus real virtue. Mm. And uh, I think that's actually like, that's a really, that's a really interesting one to try to keep myself honest around, you know, like when I'm really yeah. pushing her to learn something. Um, and then I think it's, it's for me, I, I, you know, because I have a daughter um, and I think in a, in a way I, it's a blessing because I, I have no expectations. I didn't grow up around, you know, I had no sisters. Um, and so there's a beauty in not having expectations, but I often figuring out, you know, as an example right now, I've been teaching her how to swim and knowing the fine line between pushing too hard and not pushing enough. Yeah. And I tend to yeah. over-index towards not pushing yeah. enough. Okay, yeah, but, I'm, do you know what? I've, I've, with my boy, I probably push too much. With, the, with my daughter, I probably push too little. Right? I can sense, exactly. Yeah. I think that's in our nature as men. Yeah. I really do. Yeah. 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 Cool, Brian. So so lastly, is there anything that you'd like to maybe share with the listeners that maybe we didn't discuss or any, any last kind of message that you want to leave with, with the guys? No, I, I really, Stephen, this has been, I, I love the the full arc of this journey. I, I think, as That's I said fine. earlier, I mean, at a very tactical level, um, if someone is interested in our mission, it's the thing right now that I get most excited with this kind of audience. I know that the average listener here is quite learned in the space of performance and what yeah. we're doing. And so if this sounds exciting or interesting, or frankly, if you have someone in your family or a friend or a loved one who is in healthcare, uh, we are constantly looking for collaborators and people who, you know, all of our work in hospitals has never come through a hospital administrator or executive. It's come through frontline nurses and doctors who say we need yeah. this. And we take yeah. a lot of pride in being, you know, again, we, we're working with people in the arena on the front lines of healthcare. So if, if you have someone in your life who you think would benefit from working with us or be excited, I'd love to hear from you. Our team would love to hear from you. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's hello at arena labs.global. Um, and I'm sure that you'll have some of the links in the, in the yeah, show notes. Yeah, we, we put it on the show notes and absolutely <clears throat> exceptional, Brian. And, and we might even continue to chat after about how, how we can probably take take the message of what you're doing in Arena Labs and bring it forward. Right? But to, to, to kind of wrap us up, Brian, you're, um, it, it was an honor to have you on. I think you're, uh, you're an exceptional, in every sense of the word, um, your character, your courage. You're doing difficult things being in the arena. Right, your role modeling, what it what it takes to to be fully alive, and to um your honesty, your cor- just your vulnerability, right? That, that even you display it, and uh, I think I think you'll touch a lot of people that that listen in. To be honest, and um I'm excited to get this one out, and I'm excited to, lot, to continue to to get to know you as well, So thanks for coming on, man. Really I appreciate your style a lot. Yeah, really. Uh, yeah. You create an environment where these conversations flourish. So thank you, my friend, very much. Thanks very much, man. So that's it, lads. Thanks for listening. What an episode and what a man brain is. What a conversation. We've got some good guests lined up. Every two weeks, we speak with really pioneering people in their own respective fields. And we bring life lessons to you from their journeys. And we talk openly and honestly. And I hope you, you got a sense of that from just the episode you listen to right now. So guys, please rate the show. Please, please rate the show. Leave a review. It means the world. And it really helps us to continue to bring these great life lessons to, to you. You know, so... Have a good evening, good morning, and a good night wherever you are. Thanks so much for being part of this journey, and I look forward to continuing this journey with you.